0: Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg.
1: I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you.
2: Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray.
0: And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. ...couples to be here with us this morning from
2: Pakistan. So I'm going to ask uh, Joseph and Yvette Jones if they will come forward. It is so good to have you here with us this morning. And we would like to hear a little bit about what's been happening in your lives over the last little while.
3: (laughs) Well, due to the time, I know due to the timing, you know, we want to respect that. But we're just really so thankful for all your prayers that have brought us here. You know, the song, God Made a Way. He made a a way for us to return back here a couple of days ago and to come through some challenges. But he has been so faithful to have kept us, to have protected us, even in the midst of constant terrorist threats. But God has been faithful to us. And it's been because of your prayers and your support that we were able to return back to our homeland. Uh, You know, one thing that I just want to leave with you is that Our lives are not our own. And we were bought with a price. We were made to fulfill not our plan, but his plan. And sometimes we think that we're going to be doing one thing and he has another plan. And so we thought we would be in Pakistan for many years and our commander in chief had another plan for us. And so we are in submission to whatever his will is for our life. I'll let Dr. Jones tell you
1: what that is. Thank you so much for your prayers because we really have felt them. Uh, You really don't uh, uh, know in terms of how much and how effective they've been. Sometimes we just keep praying and praying and never know, but how effective. Despite all the things that we, we went through and even some of the threats we've had, we've actually, we can actually leave and say that the Lord used us as instruments to strengthen the Christian presence at a Christian university uh, that is mostly Muslim, where, where we actually have uh, our folks now being able to stand up and actually speak the words of Jesus. We had to model what we wanted them to see. And, and the, uh, we've been there just a little over two and, uh, almost two and a half years. And when we arrived, there were actually no Christians in terms of uh, heads of departments, uh, academic departments. Now there are five. Now there was no uh, only. We we had one dean who was kind of a nominal Christian, but we replaced that person uh, with a dean. Remember, we had a school of business that had never had a Christian teaching there. Now there's a Christian teaching in there, but not only is there a Christian, but there's now a dean who's a Christian of the school. And so if you, if you think about things of the hand of God, the things that Yvette has been doing in terms of uh, uh, she's respected all over campus. All the children know her because of the school. That school now will, will be one of the 10 models for uh, schools all over Pakistan. Uh, there's only been 10 selected. Nine of them are government. Our school, the school that we're, uh, that's at the university, is the only private school. And it's, uh, out of all the students there, there are only four Muslims. The rest of those kids are Christian, and so on. So, so God has done far above we could ask or imagine. And we just want to leave you with this. My daughter actually sang a song. We had never heard that song before until we came to the service this morning. She said, we have a song we want to dedicate to you. Her, the, uh, if you remember that song, I I'll, I'll, I'll hope they'll sing it some other time uh, for you. But those words are our testimony. They really are our testimony. God has always made a way. And and when we find out uh, that our commission is to love the Lord God and to serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to fear the Lord and to obey his word, his commands, you say, then God will actually prosper your way and his spirit will go before you and his angels will go before you. And he'll open doors that you just don't know how to open yourself. And we have seen that all our career, but especially God has shown us that we actually are, are, are uh, being called back to the, uh, uh, the US. Uh, we're going to be uh, what we've been saying, as the chief servants of Fresno Pacific University, which is a Christian university. So we'll be serving as president and first lady there uh, uh, over the next few years. We don't know what God has in, in store in all, but uh, our charge is the same as it was when we went to, uh, uh, to Pakistan. Uh, you're not going there to serve, but to, uh, you're not going there to be served but to serve. And if we were to keep that in mind, that's how we actually express our love toward God. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. And now I'm asking their family who are here and any members of the mission uh, ministry team here at the church to come forward as we pray together for um, our friends here. pray. Father, thank you so much for making a way for uh, Joseph and Yvette to be with us today. Thank you for the years of ministry they gave in Pakistan, for the lives that have been changed, for the way you worked through them to change other people's lives. And thank you, Lord, now for giving them a new, a new challenge. And as they go to Fresno, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will go before them, prepare the way before them, and as they meet a different kind of challenge, um, they may not be in danger of their lives, but they will have other challenges to meet. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will be with them to give them the strength they need, the wisdom in the decisions they need to make. Give them guidance as they relate to students and other other members of the faculty and staff. And Lord Jesus, use their lives for your for your sake, and for the growth of your kingdom. We thank you for them. We thank you for the way that they are going to be used as they yield themselves to you. And so, Lord, we place them in your hands, and we pray you will go with them, open the way before them, and meet their every need. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Good morning church. Good morning church. Oh, there you are. Um, Before we get into the scripture and sermon this morning, I wanted to provide a brief update regarding Pastor Woody and specifically his father, Glenn Dalton Sr. Um, On Thursday, Glenn Sr. was taken to the hospital. In the process of the hospital discharging Glenn Sr. that morning, he collapsed and was thus readmitted for care. Pastor Woody traveled down to Virginia Thursday afternoon to go directly to the hospital and to be with his father and his sister. The expectation then was that Glenn Sr. wouldn't last through Thursday night. However, on Friday morning, he called Pastor Woody and his sister Linda and asked, when are you guys coming to the hospital? Um, After arrangements were made for um, hospice and 24-hour care for Glenn Sr., he was moved back home yesterday, Saturday. Um, The cardiologist said that as of right now, only about 10% of Glenn Sr.'s heart is functioning. So depending on if there's another episode or not, they don't know how long um, he has to live. But the doctor did say he does keep fighting and surprising everyone. Um, If nothing happens in the next day, Pastor Woody plans to drive back up here tomorrow morning. So I guess the first thing is praise God. Um, Praise God for his mercy and gifting Glenn Sr. more time and hopefully giving him more time and a chance to repent and turn to Christ for his salvation. Pray that, um, you know, I said this in the first service is, I don't know how you pray for decades for something you don't see it and keep praying, but I know it inspires my faith, and I know there's not just Pastor Woody, but many of you have been praying for decades, so we pray for um, Glenn Sr. salvation. Um, Please continue to pray that he will accept the Lord during these next couple of days. Um, Pastor Woody told me he's planning on confronting him, but we hope there's a nicer way we say that or do that um, to hopefully lead him to the Lord. Pray also for um, Pastor Woody and his sister Linda. Pray for their families, Kim and the kids. Um, Pray that they will all be aware of God's presence during this time and experience peace and comfort. Let's just take a minute to pray for that. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that We may pray for decades, but no prayer goes unheard. Um, We pray for Glenn right now. We thank you for sparing his life yet again. We thank you for giving him more breaths, more days. And we just pray for his salvation, Lord. We pray that he may finally stop fighting you and and surrender to you. We pray that he may choose to follow you, that he may be so overwhelmed with your love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that he chooses to to put his his life in your hands. Um, God, we'd like to pray for... um, Again, as anyone in the congregation who's um, suffering with mind, body, um, I was reminded this morning too, got a note that Shauna Evans' dad is in the hospital and he's unresponsive and they're waiting on the test and they're not sure if it's stroke or, or what's happening, Lord. But I just pray that um, you give that family grace and comfort and mercy. Give them love. Give them power. Just help them to not just weather this storm, but to hold on and to, to hold on to you as well. So God, we lift up um, all our saints to you. Give up... Our lives to you and, and just we, we celebrate and sing that our life is in your hands, Lord. Now we just ask that um, we can hold on to that truth and, and make that our reality now and forever. Lord, hold on to us as we hold on to you. In your holy and precious name, amen. Um, this morning we'll be returning back to the book of 1 John. So far in 1 John, we have learned that we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. We are to be witnesses of Jesus in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions. We are to be witnesses of Jesus in our everyday scenes. We have learned that Jesus desires a deep closeness and intimacy with every single one of us. A deep closeness and intimacy where we know Jesus, but even more than that, where we are known by Jesus, fully known by Jesus. Jesus wants you, all of you, all of the real you. Jesus desires an intimacy with you that's founded on honesty, on vulnerability, on trust, on grace, on love, love. This is what Jesus had with John, and it's what Jesus desires to have with every single one of us. In First John, we have also learned that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We have been reminded that light is always superior to darkness, and that we should not be known for complaining about the darkness that's all around us. We should not be known for complaining about the darkness, even the ones in us. No, no, we are to be known more for shining our light in the darkness, shining our lights in the darkness within and all around us. In 1 John, we have learned and been reminded of this beautifully gracious truth, that the darkness is passing because the true light is already shining. The world may not be as it should be, but the darkness is passing, and God's true light is already shining. We know and we see brokenness and the destruction that sins bring. Every day we see and we know brokenness, but the darkness is passing. And a true light is already shining as we, the church, as we live to shine our lights for God's glory. Because every single day and with every single breath, we can work to make Christ's kingdom come. We can work to make our Father's will be done. Amen? In First John, we have also learned the importance to know God and remember. To know God and remember. Remember that we are to be shaped by God. We must always be shaped by God's commands. We must always be shaped by God's heart. Know God and remember that your sins are forgiven. You're more than your past. You're more than the worst thing that you do. You're not defined by your past, but only by your Jesus and your God. Know God and remember that he is revealing himself to you every single day. Know God and remember that he will help you overcome the evil one, the darkness out there, and even the darkness within. No God to remember. And last time we were reminded that now and always we must love God and not this world. Yes, the flesh rages within us, but the spirit of our living and power for God also lives within us. And that's what helps us to overcome. We are more than conquerors. Amen. The world and the flesh will rage on, but you'll be all right. Just let God be God. Be faithful and God will always be good and true. The world and our eyes will choose covetousness over contentment, but our call is to work to store up treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, Jesus reminds us, there your heart will be also. The world and pride of life seek to devour you. So give Jesus the rightful place in your heart and in your lives. Let Jesus always be your Lord. Amen? Which brings us to our passage this morning. Our scripture this morning is 1 John two eighteen to 27. 1 John 2:18 to 27. We'll also have the verses up on the on the walls up front, so you can follow there as well. In 1 John 2:18 to 27, we read, "Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour." "'They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. "'For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. "'But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. "'But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. "'I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, "'and because no lie comes from the truth. "'Who is the liar?' It is anyone, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that you what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as the anointing that is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. By the time we reach these verses in 1 John, the writer is finally ready to tackle the elephant that's been not so quietly in the room. See, John's church back then, like so many churches ever since the beginning, has reached a point of deep contention. Only this time, it's not about mission or vision. It's not about style of worship. It's not about the electric guitar or the drums to play. It's not about finances, church growth strategy, discipleship, or even what the future may bring. No. No. You know, John's church, and increasingly much of all the early Christians, had reached a point of deep contention that is perhaps the most fundamental and foundational question in all of our faith who is Jesus? You can't talk about mission and vision if you don't know and can't acknowledge whose mission we're on and whose vision we're supposed to be following. The point of contention was not about style of worship, but whom whom exactly should we worship? You cannot talk about church finance, church growth strategy, discipleship, or what the future may bring if you're not quite sure who exactly we're all supposed to be surrendering to. If we do not know who is Lord, if we cannot answer that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and our Savior, if we cannot full-heartedly and completely say that Jesus is God and my God, That is not just a point of contention, it's really a point of revelation. And that revelation simply says this, if I don't know who is Lord, then really, really I am Lord. If I cannot answer that Jesus is the Christ and my Messiah and Savior, then really, really I'm counting on me to look out for me. I'm counting on me to save me. The revelation says that if I cannot fullheartedly and completely say Jesus is God and my God, then really, really, I like being God, or at least I like choosing the gods I get to control. Needless to say, denying the Son was unacceptable to John, denying that Jesus is Lord and not living with him as Lord of your life, denying that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior of your soul, denying that Jesus is God and your God, denying that the Son is unacceptable to John. But even more importantly, it is completely unacceptable to God our Father, to Jesus the Son, and to the blessed Holy Spirit. But that's what this group who had been with John's early church, this is what they said, this is what they believed, and this is how they chose to live which certainly calls on us, it challenges us, really, do we say, do we believe, do we choose to live with Jesus as Lord of our life, all of our life, all of it? Do we say, do we believe, do we choose to live with Jesus as our Messiah and Savior of our soul, not just in the age to come, but right here and right now, right here and right now, do you say, do you believe, do you choose to live like Jesus is your Messiah? That Jesus is the Savior of your soul. Do we say, do we believe, do we choose to live with Jesus being God and being our God? Where is it in life that you find it easy to believe and trust that Jesus is God? Your God. But where is it hard? And where is that one place, or for many of us, where's that word where or word, those places? where we don't think about Jesus being God because you've got this. You've got this. But what have you got? What have you got apart from Jesus Christ? Denying the son is completely unacceptable to John. It is unacceptable to the group that remained and became the church of both yesterday and we the church today. But most importantly, denying the Son that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, that Jesus is God and our God. Denying the Son is completely unacceptable to God our Father, to Christ the Son, and to the blessed Holy Spirit. So this one group in John's church denies Jesus. They reject him as Lord. They reject him as more than anything, just a common man or really anything more than just a super-blessed man that the Spirit of God came on for a certain time and then left. But he was just a man. They reject Jesus and they leave. You know, to call this a church split would seem a bit minimal. To call this seismic would be a little bit closer to the truth. You see, in an early church that was known more for their complete dedication to God, to Christ, and each other, this was seismic. To a church that was built on Jesus' teaching, Now given through the apostles like John himself, this was seismic. And to an early church that was built on fellowship, on breaking bread, on communion, on prayer, on God working in powerful ways. To an early church that was built on sharing everything with everyone and seeing their numbers grow and grow and grow as they praised God and actually enjoyed the favor of all the people. To this church, to this group from within, denying and rejecting Jesus was simply devastating. This certainly affected families. It affected relationships. This affected the close-knit community and kept affecting them. You know, I'm sure it affected them in ways they saw coming and also in ways that they could not even possibly ever dreamed or imagined. A group from within this church denying Jesus was so devastating that John wasn't now just addressing the elephant in the room, but he was addressing the elephant in the room by being a bull in everyone's china shop. And by being a bullhorn loudly and clearly in everyone's ear, John's response to the group that denied Jesus and left and to the church that remained faithful to Jesus and stayed, John's message to them yesterday and to we, sisters and brothers, today. John's message is simply this. We must choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Is Jesus Lord and Lord of your life, all of your life? You say, yes, well, good. John says, choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. as Jesus, the Messiah and Savior of your soul, yesterday, today, and forever. You say, yes. John says, well, good. Choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. And as Jesus, God and God of your life, all of your life. You say, yes, well, good. John says, choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Sisters and brothers, the message yesterday from our brother John is the same message I'm here to proclaim to you today. It's the same message you live to proclaim in here. It's the same message we all must live to proclaim out there. Choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Amen? John begins the passage by reminding his audience and us that, dear children, we are in this, the last hour. By this, John simply means to keep us fixed on this truth that Christ, our Lord, shall return. Christ is coming again. And Jesus, our Christ, can return at any given point. We are in the last hour because every day, every hour, every minute, every second, every moment brings us closer and closer and closer to the day Christ will come again. John's last hour is simply based on Christ's promise to come again. And if we are moment by moment closer to Christ's return, then it makes sense that the Antichrists are also here. The Antichrist and many Antichrists have come, for we are in this the last hour. You know, John is the only New Testament writer to use the term Antichrist, and the rest of us have been abusing it ever since. You know, even back then, people imagined you know, the Antichrist being this super evil figure to come in the last days, right? But here... In this passage, in 1 John, when we're reading, here, John is more concerned, not about some evil guy to come or evil person to come. John is more concerned about Antichrist and the many Antichrists who are already here. See, for John, Antichrist is very literal in meaning. To John, and in this passage, Antichrist is literal. Antichrist or anyone or any people who are anti- against or opposed to Christ, Jesus our Lord. So the question for us becomes, who are the antichrists in our world today? Who are the antichrists in our everyday scenes? And if we're bold enough to look within, and if we're humble enough to admit before the Father that we might be harboring some antichrist thinking, that we might be doing some antichrist living, And that we might even be doing some antichrist things always, even within ourselves. The question becomes, is there antichrist thinking? Is there antichrist living? Is there antichrist doing in your life right now? We'll get back to that a little bit later. The key here for us to remember is that this group from within the early church didn't just have antichrist thinking, living, and doing. No, they were bold enough and they were assured enough in their heresy and in their falsehood. They were bold enough and so assured in their heresy and falsehood that to them Jesus wasn't Lord, so how could he be Lord of their life? To them Jesus wasn't the Messiah or Savior, so how could he save them? To them Jesus wasn't God, so why do we need to worship him? So John says, sisters and brothers, back then and we today, live to proclaim in here and out there, that we are going to choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. You know, sisters and brothers, we do not know the sheep from the goats, but Jesus does. We cannot know the wheat from the tares, but Jesus does. We don't determine the righteous or the unrighteous. We don't hold the keys to heaven, but Jesus does. See, this group back then was so bold and so assured that Jesus was not God that they left the church. They were so sure that they were the sheep, but in denying Christ, they were really the goats. They boldly proclaimed to be the wheat, but in denying Christ, they were the tares. And they were so assured that they were the true righteous ones, but in denying Christ, they were only what? The unrighteous. Denial of Jesus as Lord, as God, denial of Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah is proof that you don't really belong to him. And probably never truly did. You know, John adds that denial of Jesus as Lord, as God, as Christ and Messiah is also proof that you do not really belong to the church and probably never really did. Right thinking, right living, right doing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is God and your God is the only way to prove that you belong to God. It's the only way to prove that you belong to the body of Christ. You know, our favorite um, North African brother, Augustine, and if he's not your favorite North African brother, I'll make him your favorite North African brother. (laughs) But that great North African saint of old once said this, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe in, but yourself. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe in but yourself. You know, I cannot think of a better description of this group that left the church back then or even the many still lost and the many still leaving the church today. They do not believe in Jesus. They believe in themselves. You know, my heart breaks for the many who deny Jesus is God. I see them in groups of two knocking on my door to proclaim their version of the gospel. I see them talking about their prophet and lifting up a man who died and who's still dead. And holding that man who's still dead, who is just a regular person like you and me, I see them lifting up their prophets higher than Jesus, who is God, who's living and risen from the dead and alive. And it breaks my heart. My heart breaks for the many when I hear them say that Jesus was a really good teacher. He had so many good lessons and principles to live by. My heart breaks because the only lesson they need, the only principle they need to live by is to make Jesus Lord of their lives and submit to all of his teachings, and not just the one or two we seem to really like. My heart breaks, and I'm reminded, though, that I need to pray. Will you join me in praying for these children who need to come home again? Will you join me in shining your light for God's glory so that they may see that light and glorify our Father in heaven? The truth that Jesus is Lord, the truth that Jesus is the Christ and our Messiah, that Jesus is God and our God, this truth, John calls it an anointing that we receive from the Holy One. Christ himself has revealed and gifted us this truth, and John calls it our anointing. You know, in Scripture, people were anointed with oil to perform a specific task, Especially for the prince priesthood or kingship. That's probably not new to many of you. You knew that. God anoints people, right? Sometimes we even do it here. However, what we often forget is that God's desire was always for his people back then and for his people today, now and forever, to be a kingdom of priests. That is, every single person in the family of God was expected, was tasked with, was anointed to be a priest to their world. God didn't just call the pastors. He calls all of us pastor. God didn't just call us one or two priests. He calls all of us priests. It was always his desire that we all are in this together. If we are the body of Christ, just like you hope your physical body can't just quit on you, You know, I'm really praying my brain doesn't decide, you know what? The other 98% of you is good. I'm done. I really hope my knees don't decide that the other 98% of you is good. I'm done. I hope my mouth doesn't do that. I hope my eyes don't do that. I hope my heart doesn't do that. We need to stop living like God doesn't want all of us, that God doesn't call all of us, that we don't need all of us because we are only together, the body of Christ. God needs all of us. It's always been his desire that all of us are a kingdom of priests. Not a few anointed, but all anointed. We are all a kingdom of priests. You know, at Sinai, God said this to the people back then. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, the apostle Peter picks up on that in his epistle, in his letter. He says it like this. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You know, when Moses writes that we are God's treasured possession, and for Peter, it is that we are God's special possession. You know, the best way I've found to understand this in our current day, and our culture, is like this. You know, for all of us, we have a basic budget, or at least we should. We have money that's coming in, and it's never enough. And we have money that's painfully going out and it's always too much. We have bills to pay, we have savings to try and save, and we have debt to try and crawl from under. But yet for most of us, or some of us, within the budget, there's that little bit, you know what I'm talking about? There's that little bit that in every family, in every budget, has a different name. It's that me spending money. It's a little slice that I can use to buy whatever my little heart desires. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That little bit of me money? Well, the feeling you have about your me money, or better yet, the euphoria you feel and the sweet joy you feel when you get to spend that me money on whatever your heart desires, that's exactly how God feels about you every single time He thinks about you. We are God's me money. You and you and you, you and you and you and me and all of us, we are God's me money. We are God's treasured special possession. So if we're God's treasured special possession, and if we know the truth that Jesus is Lord, and if we live in light of the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of our souls, if Jesus is God and our God, why are we putting our lights under every bushel we can find? Why have we become salt without his saltiness? Why do we deny anointing? Why do we deny our anointing to tell the world the truth that we know about Jesus our Lord? Why do we ignore our anointing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of our souls? If Jesus is God and our God, how come our world doesn't know it? If Jesus is God and your God, how come your world, how come the people in your everyday scenes, how come they don't know it? Is Jesus Lord and Lord of your life, all of your life? You say, yes, well, good. John says, choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Is Jesus Messiah and Savior of your soul yesterday, today, and forever? You say, yes, well, good. John says, choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. And if Jesus is God and your God in your life and all of your life, You say yes. Well, John says, choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Sisters and brothers, the message from John yesterday is the same message I'm here to proclaim to you today. It's the same message we believe in here, but we must proclaim out there. We are the ones who choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Amen. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. John believes that to choose Christ and keep choosing Christ, we must know and remember the true gospel we have heard, and then to remain in the Son and in the Father. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was part of a team that was leading breakout groups of teachers and administrators on issues of diversity. You know, I walked into my assigned room, and two of the teachers were already there about a half hour early. That was the first miracle. The second impressive thing, though, was that two of them were putting their heads together to solve the math problems on the board. Now, I was in middle school, so I'm hoping it was an eighth grade problem, because it was a little tough for us to get there. I decided to join in the fun, and it took us a little while to get our bearings, you know, but we figured it out. We didn't remember, though, it taking that long for us to figure it out in eighth grade. that whole episode was a reminder that just because you knew something before doesn't mean you know it right now. Doesn't mean you fully understand it right now. You know, it's also the same with people, right? Just because you knew someone back then doesn't mean that you know them right now. Now, I think this is why John, in essence, teaches us again what Jesus taught. We must remain in the Father and in the Son. If we desire to bear fruit... We must remain true, and we must remain in the true vine that is Jesus our Christ. One of the best ways I have found to describe how we need to make a priority with remaining in the Father and in the Son is to look at our own connection points with the people we love and then apply that same connection points to the Father and the Son. For example, in every single relationship, communication is very important. You know, one of the things I learned from Pastor Woody in um, premarital years ago, he said, you know, communication is important. And we're like we looked at each other like, yeah, that, that sounds good. He goes, How much communication do you need? And we're like, Ooh, we just got a PhD level math problem. Um, what do you mean? He goes, How much communication do you need? And I was like, you know? And he goes, the answer is enough. How much communication do you need? Enough. Whatever it is for that day, you give enough. Whatever it is for that week, you give enough. You always give enough. And enough always looks different. It's just enough. But I was thinking about this, though, about communication. See, communication is not at its best when there's only one person speaking, and especially when that one person never seems to want to listen. If I truly desire to remain in the Father and in the Son, I must communicate with God, I must pray. But like every good form of communication, I must pray with my heart in conversation with God. That means that I cannot do all the talking and call it prayer or call it communication. It means I must learn to make space to hear God speak to me as well. Remaining in the Father and in the Son also means submitting to God's will. Submitting to the Holy Spirit within The Antichrist on the outside and sometimes within us, they know very well how to lead us by our flesh. We all have thorns in the flesh. We all have sins that we're all susceptible to. We all at any given point can choose and do choose to make ourselves God and to make ourselves the Lord of our own fates. I think this is certainly part of the reason that John ends our passage this morning saying, I am writing these things to you. About those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. You know that we have people, that we have things, and that for some of us we have a place or places that are trying to lead us astray and away from God should not be a shock to you, the Christian. Our world is at war with our Christ, and in turn, that means our world is at war with you. And quite often, our world is obsessed with getting and keeping you pacified, whether it's working to keep your eyes off of Jesus, whether it's working to keep your heart far away from the Father, whether it's working to keep your light hidden under every single bushel, whether it's working to make your sins seem so dark that you grow to think that you are not loved, that you grow to think that you cannot possibly be redeemed. Our world wages war against you. It wages war against your mind, your body, your soul, and your heart. Because to keep you pacified in this war is to make you not just collateral damage, but it's to make you unusable. My sisters and brothers... If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk on water, amen? Amen. Keeping our hearts in our Father's hands, abiding in him makes it possible, not just for us to bear fruit, but for us to bear much fruit. And when we choose Christ and keep choosing Christ, his love shines through our darkness, and it heals us. It makes us whole, and it reminds us that we are already redeemed that we are always loved, that we're not defined by our falling short, that we're not defined by our sins, that we're not defined by our past, that we are only defined by our Jesus, that we are only defined by our Jesus. Amen? Amen. But these antichrists within, they don't give up on us. Like the many antichrists out there, they don't give up too easily. This morning, I think it's important that we close by triumphing over some of these antichrists that work so hard to keep us pacified and unusable, that work overtime to keep your light under a bushel. In Psalm 139, Psalm 139 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. You know, read it every day if you want to. Read at least once a month. It is beautiful. It is just helpful to getting us in that right thinking framework because it reminds us what God thinks of us and how much God loves us. If you struggle with how much God loves you, read Psalm 139 every single day until he speaks through and breaks through to you. You know, in Psalm 139, David spends almost the entire song writing about how God does perfectly know us. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. David calls us to actually take comfort in God knowing everything about us. And at first that seems a little weird because you're just like, I don't know if I want to know everything about us. But David seems to say, no, he already does and he still loves you. God knows everything we do. He knows everything about us. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows down to our bone structure, which when I was a kid, I found out you had over 200 bones in the body. I found out there's billions of people in the world. I remember going to my Sunday school teacher, and I was just like, you're telling me God knows billions upon billions of bones? And she goes, yeah, but you're only thinking about the people who are alive now. And my mind was like blown. I'm like, oh, that's right. He knows everyone's bones who's ever lived and whoever will live. But God knows everything about us, what we say, what we do, what we think, and he still loves us. He reminds us, David reminds us that God is with us, though, and that's what I need you to hear this morning. God is with us wherever we go, and even if it's in darkness, even if it's in sin, God's light is there and it's superior to any darkness because it will shine brightly there as well. David said, even if I make my bed in hell, even there you will find me. There is no darkness that God's light can't shine in. Satan just likes you to think that way. But God's there with you and he's pulling you up. You know, in calling us fearfully and wonderfully made, David sings that God's thoughts concerning each of us Without number the sand on the beach. You ever think about that? God's thoughts about you and you and you without number the sand on the beach. And I know I'm not the only one who's tried to count sand on the beach before. It's a very fruitful endeavor. But that's how much God's thoughts for us. Then David, you know, being a warrior and all, after all this mushy gushy stuff, he wants to kill people. And he said, you know what, God, (laughs) I want you to slay all these antichrists. I want you to kill all of them. For any enemy to God is an enemy to me as well. But then David, after he gets over killing people, David ends with one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. At the end of Psalm 139, David says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Sisters and brothers, I believe this is the cure for conquering the Antichrist here in our heart and many of them that's running out there. If we desire to truly choose Christ and to keep choosing Christ, we must intentionally pray what David prayed. We must be vulnerable enough before God to ask him to search me and know my heart. We must be vulnerable enough to say, God, you know me perfectly. But here before you, I lay my imperfections at your feet. We must be vulnerable enough to say, Lord Jesus Christ, test me. Know all of my anxieties. Know all of the places where I lack trust, where I lack mercy, where I lack grace, where I lack love and love. The place where I lack you, Lord Jesus, fill me up with more of you and more of your Holy Spirit. And then comes this hardest part. We must be willing and vulnerable enough to say, Lord Jesus, if there's any antichrist way within me, please destroy it. Lead me in the way of the everlasting. If there's something that I think that's not worthy of you or what you desire of me, Lord, remove it from my mind and take it as far as the east is from the west. If there is something I desire that's not worthy of you or what you desire of me, Lord, remove it from my heart and place it, replace it with only the desires of your heart. And Lord, if there's anything that I do or am doing that is not worthy of you and what you desire for me, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me and lead me in the way of the everlasting sisters and brothers. I want to give us a minute right now to try and do that right now. To ask the Lord to search us and know our hearts. To ask the Lord to test us and know our anxieties and our anxious thoughts. To see if there's any offensive Antichrist way in us. And to ask the Lord to help us defeat that Antichrist thinking, living, and doing. Let us ask Jesus our Christ to lead us in the way of the everlasting. Let's take a minute. Sisters and brothers, because Jesus is Lord and Lord of your life, you must choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Because Jesus is Messiah and Savior of your soul yesterday and to forever, you must choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. And if you're willing and bold enough to say this morning that Jesus is God and you're God, you must choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. I'd like to invite Randy and Marilyn up for our final song. I'd like to invite the intercessors up as well. We'll pray for you for anything and everything. But that message that John said all those years ago, it's the same message I want to say to you today. It's the same message we must hold on and hear and live out there, that we are the ones who will choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Amen?